This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the quarantine ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 594 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I will be your head number one for the duration of this journey this week, and my name is Matt Bum. Uh, according to your Zoom, it's Matt eat a pack of shit bomb. Yeah, I'm in a mood today. I'll tell you it's what. a little peek behind the curtain there, there you go. <laughs> for you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Are you early early adopters? Uh, I guess you're not early adopters. Early adopters? <laughs> I'm sorry. That was the wrong phrase. Wrong I phrase. It, I think it's just a peek behind the curtain. <laughs> a peek behind the curtain. Could have left it there. For all you interested parties. <laughs> and I'm head number two, a.k.a. the Internet's Joe Patrick. Today on the show, we're reviewing and discussing new comics from Wednesdays, October 14th and the 21st in the godforsaken year of 2020. It's not 2021. No, it isn't. I don't know why I typed that. Wishful thinking, buddy. Yeah, no shit. After that, it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our must-read picks for next week. And finally, our Halloween spooktacular continues with our nerd TV review of Hulu's Hellstrom. But before we take off our shirts and pour lighter fluid all over our tridents, we gotta talk about some comics, goddammit! It's review time in the Ziggurat! I don't think you meant that in the in the Hellstrom way. I think you meant that in the filthy way. Pour lighter fluid all over our tridents? Mm-hmm. Do you have something going on that I don't know about? Or Yours doesn't have three prongs? Mm. Mm. All right. Anyway. <laughs> hey. This week, <laughs> this week, the review pile is full of Wildstorm refugees, stolen Alan Moore properties, religious space zealots, royal space grandpas, and one big old scumbag. All kinds of space Matt, stuff going on here. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's kind of a gross week. Now let's kick this pig and get the review train rolling, sir. I'm starting this week with my review of Warhammer 40,000, Marnus Calgar, number one from Marvel Comics. It's written by Kieran Gillen with art by Jason Burroughs. Gillen Burroughs launched the first in a line of Warhammer 40K books over at Marvel. And this one follows the life and times of the most famous of the Ultramarines, Mr. Marnus Calgar himself. The story flashes from Calgar's present, quelling uprisings with violence and fury in the name of the Emperor, to his past as a young space marine hopeful as a rich kid, judged by his peers for his parents buying his status. Now, the Warhammer 40k universe can seem like a pretty bleak place with its almost complete lack of heroes with good motives, but Gillen shows readers what life inside the religious zealot despotic imperium is like for a budding space marine and really does impart some humanity on their never-ending war against the heretics and aliens of the universe. Burroughs was made to draw violent sci-fi like this and has come so far from his early days as a gore artist at Avatar. Don't get me wrong. He was always great. He was one of those guys that I looked at and said, you're not going to be at Avatar for very long. That is not to say anyone working at Avatar is untalented. They just definitely have a house style and a lot of people get stuck there in it. <laughs> well, and really, Jason Burroughs has been around for so long that he kind of defined 
the Avatar house style. He was the artist on the very early Alan, uh, not Alan Moore, Warren Ellis, uh, Strange Kiss. Yeah. But like that was like proto Avatar. He's improved a lot since then. That stuff did not look great. This was truly a great intro to the universe for new readers and a ton of fun for hardcore fans like myself. I I was thrilled with this. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, you know, I don't know shit about Warhammer. Like literally not one thing other than the fact that they ride around in ridiculously large warships. Like... (laughs) What are you compensating for, guys? How many of you are there? You mean their armor or their actual ships? No, no. I've seen like uh, the ships are really. You know, big there used too. to be those. There used to be those graphics of like here's the size comparison of all of the uh, spaceships in science fiction, and the Warhammer ships. Oh, they're massive. Yeah, they're, they're- like. Bigger than the fucking Death Star sometimes. Oh, way bigger. <laughs> yeah, they're huge. Um, but yeah, so yeah, all I knew was was guns and armor and gigantic spaceships. Um, this was great. It didn't um it didn't hold your hand, but it also didn't like Gillen is such a good writer that I never felt lost. Yeah. Um and, and it's got these little info pages that are informative but not overwhelming. Take note, Hickman, it's getting a little tedious in the books. <laughs> they definitely need, dropped like, a lot on you, but he he uh, he went out of his way to explain this is that planet. This is what goes on there. Right, yeah, this is exactly. how they do like Nova Thulium, Sista, yeah. Macrag. Yeah. And then a little bit about the planet. Like it it was nice. Uh, uh well, nice is a weird word to, to use, but it, like it was helpful for a newbie like me, and um, I didn't feel overwhelmed by the amount of information. Unlike another book of yours that we're going to talk about very soon. Oh, I liked that one too. I bet. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you did. Um, I totally agree about Jason Burroughs. His heart, his art is amazing. Yeah, and he has he just gets better every time. And this book, it seems this concept was tailor made for him. Totally, uh, it's a buy it for me. At, and that's this is coming from somebody who has literally never done a single thing in the realm of Warhammer, never read a book, never played a game, never watched a I don't know if there are movies or videos or no, whatever. No I movies. There there's weird fan made videos. Don't watch it. I got like I have nothing, <laughs> no exposure to Warhammer. Uh and I thought this was awesome. Yeah, it was great. Buy it. This is the Warhammer comic I've been waiting for. I'm thrilled with it. My first review is Commanders in Crisis number one from Image Comics. Writer Steve Orlando returns with this new series featuring a classic cosmic universal crossover from universes that we've actually never heard of before. Orlando and artist David Tinto have created a crop of characters that feel like analogs to our familiar superheroes if you squint just hard enough, but are somehow still uniquely different. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember how much of the plot was revealed in the solicit. So I'm going to err on the side of caution here, but Orlando strives to create the feeling of those old intercompany crossover events of decades past in a single issue. It's a fun idea. This is a worthy attempt though. I did think it could have used more time to ramp up, maybe more pages, maybe an oversized first issue. There's a fun revelation about the nature of each of the heroes that I suppose I should have seen coming considering the title of the comic, but it was a cute twist that I wasn't expecting. It's nothing like it's nothing that's going to like shift. I don't think it's nothing that's going to shift the plot, but it was just a fun little thing. Uh, Tinto's art 
has a nice superhero style. I'm not familiar with his work, but he's got a lot of potential. He's obviously kind of growing into it here. My favorite thing about this series is the really interesting power sets of each of the characters. One of them makes up a completely nonsensical scientific term, speaks it into the universe, and then it alters reality for 24 hours. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. And then there's like combat surgeon. Uh, you know, it, it's I, I don't remember ever really seeing anything like this in comics before. Now, don't get me wrong. There's familiar elements, but there is also a lot about Commanders in Crisis, number one, that felt really original. Overall, it's a neat idea. Very ambitious on Orlando's part. Like I said, the first issue could have used a little bit more setup and development, but I am definitely interested in following Commanders in Crisis for the rest of the series. I'm giving it a buy it. I, yeah, I'm completely with you here in the sense that I really like Orlando, and if he had to step away from his other projects and things that he's been working on to do this, great, because it is extremely fun. There's a lot of great original ideas here, and there's also maybe almost too many great original ideas here. <laughs> you yeah, know what I it's mean? It's got a lot going on. It yeah. felt a little crushed to me at points. Like he was trying. I can't imagine what it's like to launch a new series in this market right now. And it's got to be a little terrifying. And it did feel like Orlando was maybe a little desperate to hook you. So he threw everything he had at the, at the, at the book instead of letting it breathe a little bit. With that said, it's great. It is very good. And it's interesting. And Tinto's art is fantastic. He reminds me of sort of a Ryan Otley type artist. Yeah, sure. Really clean lines. It looks great. There's just, I, I don't want to insult this book. There's just a little too much going on here. It needed more space. It, yeah. it needed more setup. Yeah. I wish they would have let it breathe a little more. Honestly, if they did three quarters of this and let it hang a little bit. So I had questions. I think I would be more excited to read more. This just felt a little overwhelming. Giving it a buy it because he's got a good thing going here, but it felt a little. Yeah, overwhelming. I mean, like it, it's not a perfect, it's not a perfect execution, but uh, it there was enough there to hook me. Yeah, and I mean, really, I was an easy mark when you come at me with multiversal superhero crisis crossover. Sure, I mean, yes, and, and the powers that's what are I, ridiculous. That's what I live and breathe. <laughs> the powers are totally ridiculous, but it was fun. Yeah. I liked it. Same. Next up, I've got Batman 101 from DC. It's written by James Tinney. Pardon me. James Tiny Onion, the four, with art by Guillaume March. In the aftermath of the Joker War, Batman has been stripped down to bare bones. No more fortune, no more sidekicks, and he's not even in control of Wayne Tech anymore. Meanwhile, Lucius Fox has hired the Grifter from Wildcats fame as his bodyguard, which means Wildstorm is just Right back in the DCU, I guess. I don't well, I mean, I think it might be safe to say that they're never going to let Warren Ellis finish his vision of the uh, Wildstorm. Yeah, I think that's... I, well, I don't think we need to worry about it one way or another, so... Yeah, yeah. I like that Tinian is stripping Batman down from the never-ending well of tech-caped crusader he's become, but this does feel a little similar to what Christopher Cantwell is also doing on Iron Man right now. March's art is gorgeous here and i hope he's on the book for at least a short run it seems dc heard my whining and is at least taking batman back to 
basics a little bit, but we'll see how long that lasts. I don't know. Also, there seems to be a nod that the Batman, Catwoman, Tom King story is definitely happening, and this is going to possibly lead into it. Although, it's supposed to happen in December, and here they sort of make a different promise, so uh, we'll see. Give your review, and then I'll, I will comment on that. Giving it a buy it. Okay, great. Uh, I think that there is a strong indication that Batman Catwoman may not actually be completely in continuity. Yeah, so I almost wonder if Tinian wrote this earlier and thinking that... No, no, I don't think it has anything to do with that because Batman Catwoman was supposed to come out at the beginning of the year. I mean, that's true, but at the same time, it's like, then it got moved, and then other things changed, and this is definitely them saying, hey, we'll try it again. You and me, just you and me, we'll run away and do it. Why would he make a mention like that? Well, okay. So, this is what I think. Batman Catwoman is supposed to examine not only their relationship in the present, but also what happens to them in the future which is why I think it might not strictly that puzzle piece may not fit exactly into whatever Tinian is doing here. Fair enough. It, it's just, and, a, it seems like, like a weird, we won't know until the book comes out. Yeah. It just seems like a weird nod to throw that in there, but, but um, just speaking of this issue, uh, I loved, I loved it. Uh, I've been critical of Batman in recent months. I think it's just been, it's they've fallen into that trap of event after event after event. Yeah. Too much going on, too much stuff, too many characters. Yeah. This feels like it's going to be, like you said, Batman back to basics. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of love that idea. Okay. I'm going to call know, my shot. As on much something. as I love a good bat gadget, I'm calling my shot on something. Okay. Luke Fox is not your replacement Batman in the future state or generations thing. It's not. Why? Because it's going to be. Tim, it's going to be the bad boy of the family. You watch. Oh, well, maybe. We'll you see. You watch. You don't introduce that character like that. No way. Not unless he's in for something. <laughs> you know, I honestly don't I don't remember if that character existed previously or not. I have no idea who that character is. I just read it. And sure. went, I only knew about Luke. That's your Batman. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. that's it. They're trying to throw us a curveball. <laughs> uh. I, the art was great. I think Guillaume March uh, has a tendency to get a little wacky sometimes, uh, but I thought this was really well done. Uh, that scene with Grifter. I know our hackles stand up whenever Wildstorm shows up. I can't tell you I didn't like it. Especially yours. Yeah, I can't tell you I didn't love that. I loved it. But that scene between Grifter and Batman, especially the last panel, yeah. was amazing. I can't tell you I didn't love it. I And there's another part of me that doesn't love it. And I don't oh, know. No. I don't even know what it. to do with myself. <laughs> I don't know what to do. We'll, that, just, we'll scream about it on, on, on cover to cover. Because there's, I've got a yeah, whole. Yeah, give, give us some room to breathe. I've got a uh, lot give, of thoughts. Give people some time to read it. <laughs> uh, but Batman's last line to Grifter was amazing. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. And it made me cackle. I immediately took um, a screenshot and sent it to you and was just like, yes, what in the goddamn <laughs> hell? <laughs> uh, yeah, this was great. It, it's a, it's a promising new direction and I really enjoyed it. It's a buy it from me. Speaking All of right. promising new directions, Joe Patrick, Ooh, listen, you know what? <laughs> this review is going to be full of some takes. Let me tell you. My next review is of Rorschach. Number one, it's from DC's black label. Um, 
boutique imprint. I don't know. Are we calling it an imprint still? It's an imprint. Okay. It's not a pop-up anymore. Animal's not an imprint. It's not a pop-up no. anymore. <laughs> young Animal was pop-up. Yeah. It popped up and then it popped out. But Wonder Comics is, was not an imprint. I think it was a pop-up too. It's hard to, it's hard to keep track, yeah. man. There's a lot of popping at the time. <laughs> Tom King does not know when to leave Will enough alone. So here we are going back to the world of Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons's Watchmen. This time it's a solo series featuring everyone's favorite objectivist vigilante. Oh, but wait, King has instead shifted this new Rorschach's idolization to a woman named Hannah Arendt, who was a real life philosopher in the 1940s. She, her philosophy placed the blame for radicalizing citizens at the hands of the system, a broken, flawed system. Sure. Specifically, her focus was Nazism, not individuals. So naturally, this new Rorschach decides that her teachings means he should probably murder a bunch of political candidates. (laughs) As an even bigger fuck you to creators of the past, harmless weirdo Steve Ditko is very strongly implied to be this assassin. And for, yeah, that, yeah, Steve Ditko is Rorschach. Great, great job. Awesome. And for good measure, he trades on the real life family tragedy of legendary creator Otto Binder for a plot point. It's disgusting. It's gross. On a positive note, the art by Jorge Fornes and colorist Dave Stewart is quite beautiful. Uh, Jorge Fornes, he's getting up there for me. Like your Darwin Cooks, yeah. your uh, he's, Darwin Cook on anything. He's crazy. Jordy Benet on Jonah Hex. You know, whenever that guy would show up, he's the guy. Whenever the guy shows up, you're like, "Ooh, this is gonna look great." He's really talented, and it does. It does look great. It's a shame to me that they're being wasted on this pointless exercise in pissing off the writer that brought their publisher DC Comics so much success in the eighties. <laughs> I know there's a lot being said about DC's treatment of Watchmen and Alan Moore, but make your own decisions. I'm your, I'm not your mom. Personally, the Watchmen connection to me is the least of the things that offended me about this comic book. I'm giving it a skim it. Despite my every instinct, because it was so great to look at. It was so beautiful to pour over every page and it actually looked different then your traditional watchmen will be generous and call them homages. Like there's no nine panel grid. Uh, it, it, it was a different, it, it was a, it took a different artistic tone than a watchman. Definitely. Comic. No, definitely. Uh, and you know what? Maybe just maybe King will eventually say something interesting instead of just spouting off buzzwords and lines of poetry. It's a skimmit. I got to say, I did not find this anywhere near as offensive as you did. And I'm aware of everything that you cited in this. But I also think Watchmen has always sort of pushed that boundary of reality-based fiction and used examples of people that were in a situation where they were wronged and tried to do something right or where they were right and did something wrong. And I found myself enjoying this way more than I thought I would. I thought the art was absolutely stunning, like you said. It is, it is stunning. And I think part of what Watchmen does is, or has become maybe, is to challenge us in ways that 
could come off the defensive at first, and I want to see where it goes from here. I'm not just going to write it off at this point because, honestly, I really like this. I'm giving it a buy. It. I, I thought it was really cool, and I think King is doing something very interesting with the idea of the character, and I like the philosophy behind it, where they're taking it, and something very similar was sort of explored in HBO's Watchmen with the guys that took Rorschach the complete opposite way and turned him into this, you know, like white savior that was supposed to challenge authority and everything. This almost comes off as the other side of it, the anarchistic side. And man, I thought this was really cool. I'm giving it a buy it. (laughs) I'll grant you that a case could be made for whoever this Rorschach really is misunderstanding the teachings of this woman in a similar way that the, um, yeah, I can't, I can't, the guys in the masks in the show misinterpreted Rorschach's beliefs and philosophy. Sure. So I can, I can, I can grant you that if King goes in that direction, we don't know. We got 10 issues to find out. No. Yeah. And we'll see, but this is what, this is what really got to me. You're taking a property that's already being strip mined against the wishes of its creators. Uh, and I, I don't disagree with you at all. And there. then dragging other creators into it in a very bad way. I don't disagree with you at all. And I don't think they did that by absolute name. I think you can figure out what is going on, but that also could represent no, their name. There's their literal names are in the book. Otto Binder's name is in the book. Frank Miller's name is in the book. Otto Binder's name is definitely in the book. They do stop short of actually saying the words Steve Ditko. But if you know anything, you know that that's Steve Ditko. Yes. It's still fiction. And I mean, Robert Redford is also the president in this. It's tasteless. It's it's and what in Watchmen, Nixon was the president for life in that book. And they were real people. I mean, are you just taking offense because you like these people or? No, I'm taking offense because this is already a property known for its controversy. Sure. Regarding uh, the treatment of its creators. I don't disagree. And now we're taking other legendary creators and just like, well, this guy's a murderer. I mean, and, and we cast him as a murderous assassin. And Dave Gibbons is still getting paid for it. Alan Moore at this point is choosing not to. So I'm not saying that I agree with the treatment of that, but I will say Dave Gibbons is getting paid for it. So. But we don't really know anything about the deal. And to say, you like, you can't just hand wave away every criticism by saying it's fiction. That's not how it works. No, I agree. I'm saying it didn't so bother that, me. That, like, I reacted to it differently than you. Yeah. I, I, and so and it like, didn't bother I thought me. it was <laughs> lacking in taste. Fair enough. And I thought it didn't bother me. That's where I'm at. So, well, that's because you have no taste. <laughs> I see. Okay. Yeah. It's sad that you have to go to that argument to prove yourself. But anyway, my next review is of Dune, House of Treaties. I thought it was common knowledge. <laughs> Number one from Boom. It's written by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson with art by Dev Pamanik. This is being billed as the prequel comic to the new Dennis Villeneuve Dune film. And it is. But it's also an adaptation of the book by Brian Herbert that was written as a prequel to the Frank Herbert Dune series. So. Take what, take what you will from that. 
Brian, who is Frank's kid, and Kevin Anderson do a really great job adapting a huge story to comic format here. And since it's a 12-issue miniseries, it should give the 624-page book some room to breathe. Here, we see the origin of Leto Atreides, who will go on to be Duke Leto and one day Father Paul Atreides, who is the star of the upcoming movie. Pamelink's art is perfect for this expansive sci-fi epic story and borrows a lot on designs from the upcoming film, along with some other like licensed Dune design work that I've seen over the years. The comic is massive in scope, but it stays pretty focused on the key characters, Leto, his father, the emperor, and it sets up a compelling first chapter for this adaptation. If you're interested in Dune, but you're intimidated by the page counts of the books, this is not a bad way to dive in at all. I, as like as a Dune fan, I read this and really enjoyed it. I'm giving it a buy. Okay. I had the exact opposite reaction to this <laughs> than I did to Warhammer. <laughs> okay. Um, I thought that this was such a slog to read that I have to admit I checked out. Really? About halfway through. Really? Yeah. It, there was just too much. See, I too much was- shit being thrown at you. Too many names, too much lore, too many explanations. You got a billion characters. You got Jared Leto. You got Duke Leto. <laughs> no you got Jared House Harkonnen, <laughs> but you've got also this Baron who is not Baron Harkonnen. Yeah, he is. No, they called him something else. He was Baron something else. They called him by his first name. He is a Harkonnen. Oh, yes. see, I don't know shit about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they are all Harkonnens. Let's like- I thought Baron Harkonnen was like. You know, his, no. like Dr. Doom. House Harkonnen. Like That's King their last Charles. name. House Atreides. That is their name. And yeah, they are different yeah, houses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just, it was, it was too much, man. It was too much for me. I did think the art was pretty great. It's Game of Thrones in space is all it is. I get it. I get it. And maybe if I was more familiar with the subject matter, I'd have been more into it. But I thought that, look, oh, another thing. This guy, Kevin J. Anderson, he's got a reputation and it isn't always great. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. You know, he's, he's written a lot of sci-fi books. He's dipped his toes into I a lot of different franchises and not yeah. all of his, not all of his efforts are celebrated. <laughs> oh, I um, mean, come on. Uh, look, if you want to really get into it, the son of Frank Herbert, the, what, I'm sorry. Brian Herbert stuff is not exactly celebrated either. A lot of people say you don't need to read his books. That's I, just the thing, right? I have read his books. And as a Dune fan, I like them. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I'm not going to say they're as good. Yeah. They're not. They're definitely okay, not. Well then. <laughs> the Frank Herbert stuff is definitely the best stuff. With that said, I also can understand why Dune is almost completely impenetrable. <laughs> like, it was, like, like To me, it was impenetrable. And like, I found myself wishing that I had at least watched the movie first. <laughs> the David so Lynch movie? I'd at least be familiar with the ideas. Like the David Lynch movie you're talking about. Yeah, right. Okay. It's Though worth I, a watch. I mean, I, I, I know that the David Lynch movies also diverges quite a bit, but. Actually, it's, it's or, it I've doesn't. Heard, I don't know. It's pretty close. It's, it's right. pretty solid. Look, I'm, I'm giving this a skim it just because it was just too steep of a barrier of, for entry for me. And I thought Kieran Gillen, you know, not to, I, I mean, I think it is kind of comparing apples to apples here. Uh, Warhammer is also a very long running concept with lots of lore, lots of concepts, lots of is. characters. And I thought Gillen 
did a better job setting the stage. I don't disagree, but I will say it, it they are given the choice if they said matt which one do you want to write i would say warhammer 40,000. that's going to be way easier because i can drill down into one thing and focus on it whereas dune is a huge massive game of thrones in space diplomatic you know like lunacy <laughs> so this is kind of how i'm thinking about them warhammer is like a jigsaw puzzle with ten thousand pieces well, Warhammer is also just a universe. There isn't like an overriding book that started it all. There isn't. No, you know no, what I, I mean? get it. But I mean, I'm saying that like it's it's a puzzle in which the pieces connect. Yeah. And form a larger picture. Right. Whereas Dune is more like a quilt. You can't like a quilt is a bunch of different things stitched together sure. and you can't take it apart. Dune is a, yeah. Dune is a direct timeline where this is the story. It starts here. Yeah. It goes this way. And believe it or not, the story, this story, if you line up all the novels, it's 5,000 years long. Yeah. <laughs> Shit you not. It's 5,000 I mean, years long. I guess my, I guess my, <laughs> I guess my analogy doesn't really make any sense because a jigsaw puzzle doesn't look like anything when you take it apart either. That's but true. <laughs> uh yeah it's a skimmit for me but that's me and I, I i do agree that if you're a dune fan or at least have a passing familiarity you'll probably get more out of it than i did i, I just think it's so hard here's the thing i love the game of thrones books too and when they put them into comic book format i didn't give a shit it just didn't work it's one of those things where there's so much to the lore and so much going on that stripping it down into comic book format can oftentimes you lose so much that there's just nothing there. And I think they did a really good job of making this as approachable as it possibly could be. I'll take your word for it. I don't know if that's high praise or not. Honestly, <laughs> They did the best they could given the circumstances. Given what they had. What yeah. And you got the guy that wrote the book. You got the, the guy that wrote the book and another guy that is also a, that's a plus. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Good. That's a positive. So that's great. At least it's not just like, Hey, we grabbed some schmuck who used to work on blue beetle and he's going to tell you about Dune. <laughs> sure. Right. All right, let's move on. Next up for me, moving into this week's books. Fantastic Four, number 25 from Marvel. R.B. Silva joins Dan Slott as the new ongoing Fantastic Four artist. And good Lord, does this issue look amazing. Yeah, it's R.B. fucking Silva, man. That dude is I know. amazing. I think part of the reason that I haven't been able to get that into this run of the Fantastic Four is that the art, while it's been nice. I'm not going to say the art was bad. I'm not saying the art's been bad, but I think it's kind of lacked that sort of cosmic spark. Mm, okay i mean all right I, I there's been some really solid artists on fantastic Four. look like i'm again i'm not taking away from the artists there's just silva brought something to this issue utterly cosmic and alien well that dude and, is that dude is also like next level talented like yeah. rb silva's probably one of the most talented comic book artists working right now so following the events of Empire, uh, the FF are trying to resume normal life, or at least normal for them, when a being from the depths of space more powerful than anything they've encountered in a while shows up on Earth in search of something. <laughs> of course, what it finds are two secrets being held by Dr. Doom and Reed Richards, respectively. Secrets that will have a grave impact on the universe. 
Aside from the art, I feel like oh Jesus! I feel like Dan what Slut may have gotten that cosmic spark. What an unfortunate tie autocorrect. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Dan Slot autocorrected to Dance Slut. Uh, hey, everybody! But, loves, uh, you know what? I feel everybody like, uh, loves a good dance slut. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what? He might be. But I think he's really gotten that cosmic spark back as well because I thought this was a really good issue of the Fantastic Four. All the characters get equal time. They all have their own interpersonal things going on, like Sue and her secret shenanigans with Nick Fury and Ben and Alicia settling into life as foster parents. There's a backup story by Slot. There it is again. And artist Paco Medina featuring the return of one character and the sort of return of another, both of which made me very, very happy. I'm back on board Fantastic Four with this issue for now. I really miss this family and I'm glad to see or at least hope that this is a return to form for Marvel's first family. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I feel like the whole run up to Empire. I don't know. I don't know if Dan Slott just like got more directed and figured it out and said, OK, but I've really enjoyed Fantastic Four for about I'm going to say the last six issues, seven issues. It's, I think that all the Empire FF stuff was was really good. It was really good. And it's it just started to pick up steam. And this issue was great. And Silva doesn't hurt at all. I'm not going to fault anything for the art like you were. I, I just think Dan Slott maybe came in the Fantastic Four with an idea like, I'm going to do for these guys what I did for Spidey. And we're going to get wacky. And we're going to do some weird stuff. And I don't need the Fantastic Four to do that. And it feels like he settled down. And now he's letting the Fantastic Four do what the Fantastic Four should be doing. And it's working. And he's a really talented writer. And I'm happy to see it. And I'm happy to give this Fantastic Four a buy it as well. Go pick up Fantastic Four. It's fun to read again. Once again, I'm not discounting the talents of the previous artists. It I'm just sure saying, sounds like you were directly insulting the previous no, artists. I'm just saying that to me, Fantastic Four needs this kind of bombastic cosmic feeling to the art. And in this issue, I felt it. I am going to tweet at the previous artists and let them know what you go said for it at them. Aaron Cooter. Yeah. I dare you. <laughs> yeah. Aaron Cooter. So good. I love that dude. Uh, I liked it. I liked the issues I read that he did, but I don't even remember who drew it before RB Silva came on board. Don't worry. I do. And they're going to hear about this. My next <laughs> review is of werewolf by night. Number one from Marvel. Here's your creative team. It's written by taboo and B Earl. <laughs> That's fun to say with art by Scott Eaton. Forget the old Jack Russell werewolf by night here. Rapper and professional break dancer taboo introduces Jake. Maybe Russell. I can't remember if he had a last name here or not. He's I don't a, think he was Jake Russell. He's no. a young native American werewolf that uses music to help him control his feral instincts and fight crime on the reservation. There's a moment in the book where I'm like, okay, so music helps him like focus and like soothe the savage beast or something or get him pumped up. All right. And there's a scene where he turns into werewolf and he's like, I got red bone blasting in my ears. Now I'll give you red bone was a native American pop band. And I'm not taking anything away from red bone. Their biggest hit was come and get your love, which you may remember from guardians of the galaxy Two. come and get your love. Now let me ask yeah. you, Joe Patrick, you're a werewolf. You're about to turn into wolf form and fuck some shit up. 
do you reach for the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 soundtrack? Or maybe you go with something a little harder at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't know, man. Uh, I, I got to say, this wasn't the train wreck that I thought it would be, but it's far from great. I feel no attachment for the original Jack Russell character, so I don't mind the new character at all. I was hoping for a little more horror here, though, and the variant covers sure make this look like it was going to be scary. <laughs> but instead, we get a very superhero wolf story, complete with two U.S. Marshals, one who doesn't wear sleeves and throws spatula knives that look like no, long that's shots. Red Wolf. Weapons. Is that Red Wolf? Yeah, they name him in the book. I, they didn't use the name Red Wolf, though. She calls him Red Wolf. Does she? Specifically by name. I yes. totally missed that then. That's Red yeah, Wolf. Yeah, when they're in the car driving to wherever, Ugh. she calls him Red Wolf. I did not like, okay, I did not like his new look. It was dumb. Jay- to be fair, it's not Scott Eaton's fault. It's the look he's been sporting ever since uh, they brought him back uh, I, for that Hawkeye team-up book. Man, I did not like it. <laughs> Jake and his girlfriend are breaking up some no-good Minutemen racist types patrolling the border, and there's a fairly jumbled script that jumped around just enough to leave me wondering if I missed a panel here and there. Eaton's art is fine at best, and at times it gets a little wonky. Werewolf by Night is a title Marvel could have done something very cool with, but this felt very safe very paint-by-numbers, 90s comic book storytelling by a guy that is admittedly not a comic writer and could have done much worse. I'm going to give it a skim it, which is way better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't think this was bad at all. Uh, no. I mean, it was it, forgetful. I mean, there was some scenes where I'm just like, what is happening here? There's like a scene where they're talking with their grandmother and nothing odd is said. They're just having a conversation and then both... Jack and his girlfriend turn and go, Grandma! And it's I mean, like. It's because she, I think she was implying that they were getting busy. But they're like related? No, you just called her his girlfriend. Yeah, but she calls, called her, she calls her grandma too in that scene. That's what threw me. She says the word. They both at the same time say, Grandma! Like, I mean, maybe that's just a cultural thing. I don't look, know. Look, if I'm dating you. And we show up to your grandparents' house. I don't just like start calling them grandma and grandpa. That's, I call your mom, mom. No, you don't. Sure, I do. No, my mom would slap your face if you tried to. No, pull she that wouldn't. Bullshit. She would She'd not let put up with that. <laughs> I'm the son she's. Ne- I'm the son she never had. That's true. <laughs> the son she uh, wishes yeah, she had. What? The son she okay. wishes she had. There you go. There she you has go. sons. Do not destroy my masculinity like that. Thank you, sir. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I didn't find anything offensive about this. My biggest complaint, uh, uh, Scott Eaton. Scott Eaton is an artist who I have enjoyed in the past. Uh, yeah. He's also an artist that's been around for a couple of decades now. I texted you about that, and I was like, I feel like I, he he's good at this, right? Like, I have memories of him being good at this. Yeah, you know, he drew Superman, you know, for right. a time. Like, he, he's... But it's it's just... I feel like he's maybe lost a step or he's taken some shortcuts. Not that it was offensive to look at or anything, but no, no, no. the art was okay. Not great. The story was fine. I, I actually really liked how much they leaned on or, and brought in the native American cultural elements. Uh, I thought that was nice. Um, See, it offended me. I thought it was PC bullshit. And I was like, Oh, okay. here we go. Uh, That's a joke, I, by the way. I do not think that. Yeah, don't, right. don't add us. Come on. <laughs> Uh, 
and I, again, I don't want to make fun of this dude's name, but they put his name on the cover, and then inside they called him B. Earl. His name is Ben Jackendoff. Why didn't they just put B. Earl on the cover so we didn't have to think about it? I don't know. Yeah. So again, you're you're getting a, a reboot of a D-list concept yeah. by a musician and a little-known comic writer. It's only gonna it's only gonna be so good. And and I guess that's my point. Like it, when you've got something like this, there's zero stakes. No one is gonna yeah. like come to the Marvel offices and throw a flaming you know brick through the window or something if you fuck up Werewolf by Night. So why not take a chance and do something really cool? Like give it to somebody. Like call some up and coming guy. Call Ram V. Call Alex Packnadel and be like Werewolf by Night. It's yours. Do whatever you sure. want and let them go nuts with it. Instead, we get this. Eh, whatever. I mean, I feel like no one's I- gonna remember this and no one's gonna care. So I'm of two minds on it. Uh, I think that it's kind of a wasted opportunity to do a werewolf by night story during the Halloween season and have it be about the least scary comic book ever made. Yeah. The other side of that coin is that I feel like these guys had this idea about a teenage native American superhero and they tacked on a concept that was available. Sure. Yeah, it, it could because have been any. They literally he they he literally could have been any other thing. Right. And other than some jokes in the book, there were yeah. oh, there's a bunch of hair in the shower, you know, like I mean, yeah. Uh, it, this was kind of just generic superhero action with It was like um Super Dinosaur or um The Astonishing Wolfman, those Kirkman books where it's like they're superheroes that just look like monsters. Right. You know, it's just a generic action book. Yeah. What's the and point? It's fine. It's a skim it. It's, it's, it's not world. They even mind. make like a, a, they make an attempt to like reach out and be like, yeah, this is totally happening. The Marvel, you check out outlawed. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this has nothing to do with outlawed. No, Fuck no. <laughs> All right. Our final review comes from me. It's the scumbag. Number one from image. Rick Remender's latest creative vision is here, and it is completely ridiculous. Ernie Ray Clementine is probably the world's most terrible person, fueled by decades of abuse, alcohol, and drugs, and sex, and any number of other things that would make a person uh, not very much fun to be around. A complete degenerate in every way. He steals from charity to buy drugs in this issue. He's a drug addict, sir. Okay. That's a responsibility. Okay. Oh, okay. Sorry. That's like when you don't just want candy, you need candy. That's a responsibility. Get it. Uh, So naturally Ernie stumbles upon a battle between two mysterious super spies and accidentally injects their super soldier serum into his veins instead of his syringe full of heroin. (laughs) Now the fate of the world is in the hands of the worst person on it. And he's not going to make with the saving until his demands are met. The demands are hilarious. First off, I want to talk about the art by Louis LaRosa. It's stunning. It's yeah. It's like Lieber Mayo detailed pencil art, like line art. It's that level of intense detail, but it's a lot more exaggerated, like caricature ish. But the colors by Moreno Denisio offer a painted palette that brings that exaggerated, those exaggerated figures to life. Like they 
pop off the page. Yeah. It's like looking at stills from a cartoon or from like a CGI cartoon. Of course, Remender's script is ludicrous and wickedly funny. Ernie does things that should make every reader find him completely deplorable, but somehow you just can't help but root for the guy. Placing this bizarre, filthy lowlife into this ultra bright world of superhuman spies is a fantastic contrast. I can't wait to see where Remender takes it from here. The scumbag number one is outrageous. It's not going to be to everyone's liking. I I specifically spoke to a friend who read a preview of the issue and had to stop after a certain scene five pages in. You'll know it when you get oh, there. Oh, please. What a cry, baby. Give me a break. No, hey, listen. <laughs> Everyone, different strokes for different folks. Uh, whatever. You know what triggers this guy? Nothing. <laughs> That's because you have no morals. It's over the top in some pretty disgusting ways, but it was also a tremendous start to yet another interesting, high-concept new series from a deeply troubled mind. I'm giving this a huge buy it. I loved it. I loved it as well. And it, it feels like what Rick Remender is so good at doing things that Mark Miller thinks he's great at doing. You know what I mean? Yes. Like right. it, that's, I got that feeling at the same time where like Mark Miller is like, you know what I'm going to do with this comic book? I'm going to push your fucking buttons. I'm pushing them, pushing it, pushing it now. Yeah. You feel me push the button? Yeah. Pushed it. Yeah. And you're like, I get it, Mark. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> it's like, it's like there's, it's, there's intelligence behind the degradation. Yes. Whereas Mark Miller's like, I forced your son to fuck your daughter. Then I put a bomb in her uterus so you right. can't abort the baby. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, no, thank you. And I'm not going to say that I don't like Mark Millar when he's at, when he's good, he's great, but he's not always great. I feel like right. Rick Remender. I think we can safely say he's always great. I have not disliked anything that I've read from Rick Remender. This is fantastic. It's funny. It's offensive. It's well thought out. It's well plotted. And the art is just stunning. It's absolutely stunning. And it's the art is like just as overly bombastic as the script. They went way out of the way. The colors are ridiculous. This is insane looking yeah. at it. It, it. It's it's like you're tripping while you're reading it. It's so <laughs> hyper-realistic and bright and ridiculous. Like I think this is fantastic. And it, it, spoiler alert, it's going to be the best book that I read this week. <laughs> so I'm giving it a huge buy it. I loved this. I yeah, just loved we'll it. We'll just go right into it. I, I think I'm giving my favorite book of the week to The Scumbag as well. Yeah. Even though I almost gave it to Fantastic Four because I was so happy to read a Fantastic Four book that I really loved. Yeah, and I but, wanted I wanted to give it to Warhammer 40,000. I really did because I love uh, yeah. Warhammer 40,000 so much, but that just it's tickling my pickle personally. Well, but yeah, but you know, I even I even considered that as well cuz I finished Warhammer number 1 thinking, "Oh shit, maybe I like Warhammer." You do. And so like that's high praise for a book for a creative team to come in and convince me to get into something so you know, dense and and long running uh but re i gotta give it to the scumbag it just ran away it was too much fun it was too much fun and like the offensive ridiculous over the top but still smart well done and fun like if you're a fan of like yeah. the boys tv show you'll love this you'll absolutely love this 
Chlop, flop, slorp, lip. That does it for reviews this week. And chlop, flop, chorp, lip. Gross. <laughs> is, is the sound of Rorschach eating cold beans from a can. As seen in the original Watchmen, this onomatopoeia of the week comes courtesy of OutrightGeekery.com. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can post it to any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Better yet, call us. Make the noise. I want to hear you chlopping and flopping and shorpling. Oh, gross. I don't. Tell, <laughs> tell us where the noise came from. We will use it on the show. The eating noises and stuff. This ASMR shit. It makes me fucking sick. That is it for reviews, and now it is time to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where I am refusing to watch the Dodgers-Rays World Series, and it's not because they booted the WWE Raw to FS of one. No one is watching Raw anyway. It's because I was hoping the cheating Astros would take it all just to add insult to injury in this piece of crap year we're living through. I just want to wallow in the misery at this point, folks, and nothing makes a kid miserable like the MLB, let me tell you. Except for maybe the WWE, because it's really bad right now, too. Joe, why don't we put on the old mitts, play the little catch, and take our mind off this dumpster fire of a year by talking about our must-read picks for next week. I don't think you play catch. I think you have a catch. Let's go have a catch. This is why I don't play catch with you. This is exactly why. Well, obviously, you don't know how it's done. Okay. My pick for next week is Colonel Weird Cosmagog, number one from Dark Horse. It's written by Jeff Lemire with art by Tyler Crook. 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. From the world of the Eisner Award-winning Black Hammer series comes a bizarre sci-fi adventure origin story. Wacky space adventurer Colonel Randall Weird leaves Black Hammer Farm and embarks on a strange journey through space and time for something that he's long forgotten with his sanity and life at stake. Look, we're a broken record at this point. We love Black Hammer. I fucking love Colonel Weird. Yeah. He's so bizarre and funny. I can't wait to read this. Tyler Crook is an amazing artist. Uh, you might know him from Harrow County. Tyler Crook is stupid talented. Yeah, this, this is going to be awesome. And if you're not reading this stuff, you're missing because it is a ton of fun. My pick for next week is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, number one from IDW. It is written by Tom Waltz, and it's important because Tom Waltz is the guy that got Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird back together to help him write this comic book. Here's your solicit. It's the TMNT event of 2020. Springing from the minds of TMNT co-creators Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird comes an epic like you've never seen before. In a future New York City far different than the one we know today, a lone surviving turtle goes on a seemingly hopeless mission to obtain justice for his fallen family and friends. Kinetic layouts from Eastman, moody inks from Andy Kuhn, and a thrilling script full of surprises from longtime TMNT scribe Tom Waltz all combine to make this one of the most memorable TMNT stories you will ever read. Oversized in both format and page count, this Whoa. is a perennial TMNT tale that cannot be missed. This is your Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Dark Knight Return shit. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> you know that's got to be Raphael, right? He's too rude to die. 
Well, I don't know. I think it could be further in the future than that. I'm not even certain. We don't, we don't know. Like, all bets are off. This could be a kid of the turtles. Well, it's... No, come it on. could be. Why would anybody care if it's not one of the OG turtles? We don't know. And I don't know that it even matters. I think the most important thing is, here is if you watch that Toys That Made Us documentary where Eastman and Lurid made up and became friends again, this is the comic book that comes out of it. And I can't wait to fucking oh, see it. Oh, my God. I know. Like... The- <laughs> That episode of that show, like I got a little teary so at the end. Great, and I can't. Like, I'm super excited for this. I think this is yeah. going to be awesome. Now, uh, and I love Andy Coon. Andy Coon, um, yeah, he drew Phil Hester's Firestarter. It is eight ninety nine, but it's big. It's really big. It's forty eight pages, and it's oversized. It's big. THN trade of the week goes to Blue in Green from Image Comics. Written by Ram V with art by Anad RK. It is 152 pages for $17.99. Here's your solicit. This dark and haunting portrayal of a young musician's pursuit of creative genius, the monstrous nature of which threatens to consume him as it did his predecessor half a century ago from creators Ram V, who worked on Graffiti's Wall, These Savage Shores, and Anad RK, who were also worked on Graffiti. Well, Blue and Green is an exploration of ambitions, expectations, and the horrific depths of their spiraling pursuit. So, think about the movie Whiplash if demons and devils and horror were involved. It is about the pursuit of artistic genius in jazz and how fucking insane that can make a person. The so, art- it's like the Ralph Macchio movie Crossroads. Exactly. <laughs> That's a great fucking movie. Don't even come at me if about you it. You say so. <laughs> I do say so. Not quite. It's a little more terrifying than that, but oh my God, this looks incredible. And the early reviews are fantastic. I read a preview, not of the whole thing. It was like of the first like 30 pages. And I got to say, I am fired up for this one. It looks awesome. Of course, we want to hear about your comic picks for next week and how the designated hitter has destroyed baseball as we know it. But don't forget to add these comics to your pull list so you can play along. And you're also doing your local comic book store a huge favor, too. It almost didn't happen, but somehow Hulu managed to hold on to the last threads of the, quote, adult Marvel TVU they wanted to build. And Hellstrom is here. So it's time for Matt and I to butter the popcorn and sit in our saved aisle seats for another edition of Nerd TV. We're just like Sisko. I don't do it as good as you. We're just like Cisco and Ebert. It's adorable. Yeah, yeah. So Matt, let's get into it. Was this the shirtless, long-haired son of Satan that confused your sexuality as a younger man in the 90s that you were hoping for? Not Exactly. <laughs> to be fair, later on in the season, he does take his shirt off quite a bit. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'll give you that. I ended up watching uh, all but the final episode. I didn't have time to finish it. So okay. I let it kind of roll while I was working and whatnot. And I have to sure. say, I just don't care for this main actor at all. He's. It's not that he's like bad. He's a perfectly good actor. I think he's just completely miscast. He's too cute. He's too nerdy, and he's just not the son of Satan. He did not work for me. I will say that he lacked a sort of grittiness that I would have expected. I mean, and not to mention that, it's like, 
if we want to talk about the character itself, like, did I think we were going to do a direct screen adaptation of shirtless Damien Hellstrom with long hair and the pentagram on his chest and shit like that? No, but I did think we were going to get a little more of like the sorcery and stuff. And we really didn't get any of that. We get like some hints that maybe he can make people see certain things, but I never got the hint that like he is a sorcerer that does magic. I'm pretty sure they're throwing fireballs around and shit at some point. No, no, they, they're like, there was a thing where he tricked some people into seeing things, but no, they never touched any of that. The sister as well, who, by the way, I thought the sister was great. She looks the part. She's way more interesting than the main actor. Her voice does sound exactly like Portia Del Rossi, which kept freaking me out every time I wasn't looking at my computer. (laughs) But the sister, Anna, who is supposed to be Satana, I guess, they kept like taking her badass license away from her. They introduce her and she's like, Fully empowered. She's fucking badass. How how spoilery are we getting here? It's only been. I'm going to, I'm going to stay away from hardcore spoilers, but like in the first episode, she is a complete badass and she is sort of preying on a, a evil man who's doing bad stuff. And she knows that he did bad stuff and she's not afraid to just straight up fucking kill that guy. But then when they get into the whole evil dad thing and i kind of hate that they keep calling without any major spoilers i hated the fact that they keep referring to this thing that like the 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 plot centers around brother hellstrom and sister hellstrom whose mom is possessed and she's in a mental hospital and it's very 80s horror mental hospital it's got padded walls and shit only in this mental hospital if you piped off they'll punch you in the face (laughs) they treat the people of this mental hospital like shit (laughs) well she's an extreme risk (laughs) not not just her i'm talking about other people that are like i'm freaked out and they're like settle the fuck down (laughs) and it just the whole thing felt like very whitewashed horror to me like they wanted to go full satan but they were afraid to go full satan so they sort of leaned into this demonic thing that never really took off and you took the license of the two like the the powerful license of the two characters hellstrom the son of satan and satana the daughter of satan and made them badasses for a second and then completely just like took all that away from them and they're scared and they don't know what to do and they don't, they don't even have the power to deal with this stuff. like i just don't know what they were trying to do with this, but they didn't do anything that really interested me. And ultimately like, was this terrible? No, but it was definitely mediocre. And I just didn't care. I just didn't care. I ended up quite enjoying it uh, way more than I was expecting, but I also like, you know, genre procedurals like supernatural Uh, I've been getting into Lucifer and it's not bad at all. Um, Understanding full well that it's not the comic. I'm just for, I'm judging it for what it is. Um, Like, so I love those kind of like borderline shitty, like supernatural dramas, you know? And so I was into it. I was into Hellstrom in, in at least at that level, 
But then as I kept watching more of it and they revealed more of the story, it wasn't really a, a you know, a one case per episode procedural at all. It was like an ongoing narrative that uh, told us more about this family and uh, the people that are conspiring against them and their allies and uh, how these dark forces are, are at war with them. And yes, I will grant you that, you know, it's, you're not going to be able to look at this and make a one-to-one comparison to, to Hellstorm. But I will say that it did draw in a lot more of that imagery uh, and thematic stuff than I was expecting. Um, I don't want to spoil anything, but by the end of it, he, he was looking pretty hellstormy and like he has the scar, you know, it's stylized. It's not like a, it's not like a of complete, course. like yeah. something you carved in your desk as an edgy teen. That's what I just felt like all of it. It was like, they took some imagery and they skimmed the surface of it, but they never like committed to anything. Oh, but it made sense to me because like as the, as the scars being made, they flash back to when he got the scar and he's struggling against it. So yeah, it's not going to look like a perfect pentagram. Um, I mean, sure. I mean, fine. I, I, I'm just, I guess I'm talking thematically more and, than any. Like, and I disagree that they didn't show that they had power. Like they definitely had supernatural power now he they're not you're not getting the uh gl- glowy hands marvel comics cumberbatch yeah, I mean, dr like, strange this is a guy that was spell the, casting he was the sorcerer supreme for 15 minutes you i know? understand like, that man <laughs> but that's not what this is and i like, get that he he definitely had he definitely had hellfire powers he had telekinesis he could purge demons he had some sort of mind control shit like he had powers and so did she and you know, I like it just also seemed like they also, for the sake of the plot, made them seem completely hapless at times it, it, where it was just they like, were overwhelmed. Dad's yeah, doing this. And dad's doing that. OK, first of all, stop calling him dad. Let's call him one. You don't call Satan dad. <laughs> like you call it something scarier or you they know, might not the know thing or something. Like they, you know? <laughs> they know he's a they know he's evil. Yeah, they know he's a demon. But I they know. might not really know that he's like capital d well, you demon. don't call him papa um, or dad or daddy sure yeah they call him pop pop um so like when they announced the series and they released the synopsis and it was like brother and sister team of investig of paranormal investigators just happened to be the children of the world's most notorious serial killer i was like nope what why bother what are we even doing but they dispel that notion almost right off the bat. They're like, no, yes, he was a serial killer, literally from the depths of hell. Right. No, and, and, and like, and I'm, yes, I, I'll give you all of that. I just don't feel like they did anything edgy here. If they wanted to be scary, it wasn't scary. They wanted to be edgy. It barely felt edgy, other than the fact that they said the word shit a lot. I tried to count in one episode, and I got to 15. I just kept making marks on a piece of paper while I was working and watching it. I got to 15 before I lost track. It's like, all right, come on guys. <laughs> well, you know, it's TV MA, not uh, a movie I radar. This was just forgetful. I, I thought that the addition of like the hot nun from the Vatican was useless and just worthless to the storyline. All right. See now again, <laughs> like I, I did like, I liked, uh, this is a journey that has a very specific ending. And I think that like, you're not seeing the whole picture that I have seen. 
The only thing I haven't like, seen is the final episode. Yeah, and a lot happens in the final episode. All right, fine. I did think Robert Wisdom was really good in this. He's the older black dude. He's great in everything he's, caretaker. he's in. But they, I, I mean, in name only, but he's like caretaker from Ghost Rider. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was awesome. And, he, and he's great in everything he's in. He's just kind of wasted here. And I, this just feels I like the, um, they could have the had a, they could have had a lot of fun with this and they could have gone completely nuts with it. And you stand, you lose nothing if you do. Cause guess what? We're not getting another season. This is gone. Hulu's not getting any more it's of this. It's probably gone. Yeah. Marvel television is not a thing. So we, we yeah, got no. this. Great. I totally agree. But I'm, this is what I'm going to say. I thought, uh, you, don't, you don't like the main actor. I thought he was fine. I will agree that he lacked a bit of edge. Yeah. That was my biggest complaint about that actor. He's not a bad um, actor. Everybody he's, else he's just miscast. in the cast. I thought everybody else in the cast was incredible. I, I do too. I, I really do. I thought the sister was great. I did not uh, care Rebecca, about the Re, uh, Rebecca Marvel played the mom. She was good. Yeah, she was really and good. She, like she does double duty as like normal mom and, and like possessed lady. The demon that possesses yeah. mom. And it's chilling yeah. at times. Everybody in it is really good except for the main actor and the nun. <laughs> and, well, I and, even thought that the main... I, I'm not saying that the main actor wasn't good. I just, I, I just agreed that his tone was a little off. He's miscast. But I thought that he did a fine job. He's miscast. Uh, the nun was the weakest character. She was terrible. She wasn't terrible. She was terrible. She, and Casey, on. while I was making her watch it, Casey was like, who is this woman? She's like, she's supposed to be a nun. This is terrible. <laughs> she's a nun in training. She was laughably bad. She's like, I trained at the Vatican. Okay, who are you? <laughs> you trained at the Vatican? You trained at the Vatican. For what? <laughs> you know? And then we uh, sent you to the United States to hang out with Damien Hellstrom, who's just like some dude that's a paranormal investigator? Like, what? <laughs> well, no, they sent for her. Who sent because for her? Because he used to do it. He used to do it with the woman that runs the facility but she just couldn't do it anymore yeah so they sent for super hot chick that trained at the vatican whatever yeah i don't think that they put that down on the form i don't think they picked the box that said super hot please no No. i think the producers did that because they wanted to buy candy yes matt because it's a tv show and everybody on the show is beautiful in their own way (laughs) i suppose uh so my final thought is this i went into it dreading it I liked the first episode way more than I was expecting enough to keep going. And by the time the weekend was over, I'd seen the entire series and I was a little bit mad that we're never going to get to follow up on the plot threads that are set up in the conclusion. Uh, Because I will give this spoiler. The dad definitively appears in the final episode and I love that actor. Is the dad Satan? He. Yes or no? He. Look, I, I look, I already texted you this and I'm not going to get into it because it's a spoiler. Yes or no? Just tell me. I think yes. Okay. That, that's not a spoiler. We're talking about the son of Satan. <laughs> but there are details that are dropped in the show that are spoilers, and I didn't want to ruin it. So thank you for forcing the issue. Uh, but he, like, he shows up incognito, just at, in human form, at the very end of the last episode. And I was like excited to see who they cast. And then I remembered, oh, shit, 
we're never going to see this again. You're never going to see it again. And I was kind of bummed out about it. You're never going to see it again. I, I just, so, I, I'm, look, I'm not going to tell you I hated it. I just thought it was mediocre and I thought it was, it was just wasted. It's a wasted idea. And I see why Marvel scrapped this and said, no, we're going to bring everything in house and do this our way. And I just didn't care. I would rather okay, watch but Supernatural. This, this show is not the reason that Marvel Studios took over Marvel TV. No, I'm That's, not saying it is. This show is not the reason. I'm saying I understand why they brought everything in-house and want to do it their way, because otherwise we could end up with a lot of watered-down crap like this. And I would much rather watch something like Supernatural that has great chemistry and has two great actors in it and is fun to watch and isn't just like dark and edgy every episode until we try and make some sister brother fighting jokes that really don't work well with their dark and edgy script. I just didn't care. I didn't care at all. So I, I'm and not going to say it's, it's the train wreck that I thought it was going to be. It wasn't. I just thought it was mediocre at best. And I think it's well worth spending some time. It's not, again, it's not groundbreaking. Neither is a cheesy genre program on the CW, but I love those two. Supernatural stands out. Yeah. Because of the strength of the cast. Exactly. But you can't tell me that there are some seasons of Supernatural that weren't worse than this. (laughs) Because I guarantee you there were. I disagree. 15 seasons, man. Some of those seasons in between, some of those seasons in between five and 10 are kind of dodgy hey man i'm up to 11 and i haven't seen a season of supernatural that i liked less than this and well and maybe again, it's because of the, the actors again, involved the chemistry of the actors and when you miscast the main actor like this that's not doing you any favors i liked i liked the main actor i thought he was fine mm. uh and also to me like i've come i've kind of come around on the idea of separating the uh, adaptation from the source material a little bit. Like oh, me too. I, I under- mean, sure. I understand that the Runaways show is not going to be exactly the Runaways. I understand that Agents of Shield is going to be doing its own thing. Sure. I just want it to be good. I thought this was good. I did not. Well, then, what's your rating? Because I'm giving it a watch it. I'm giving it a steal it. <laughs> like if you want to watch, that's it, not the rating. Steal it from the internet, I guess. But it's it's. But it like it's. Watch it, skim it, or skip it. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would give it a skip it because, first of all, it's not coming back. And there's plenty of other great stuff you can watch out there. And it just, they could have they could have done something edgy and fun here. And instead, they played it safe, added some shits, and tried to make it edgy. Like, no, we're not network TV. We've got a little more gore. And we say the word shit way too many times an episode to be network TV. I don't know. There was nothing here that grabbed me. Like, I don't, I don't understand where you are getting this idea of forced edginess. I thought it was plenty edgy. Like there was some pretty extreme stuff going on in these episodes. Yeah. Okay. Maybe for you, sweetheart. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Let's end this show, please. Excelsior! (laughs) That is it for THN 594. Next week, the Cosmic Long Box returns and our Halloween Spooktacular continues when we review demonic comics from Comics Evil Past and we're counting down our top five favorite comic book demons, or as I like to call them, fake Satans, because they were always afraid to call it Satan. <laughs> well, but not every demon is Satan. It's Some true. demons are, it's true. You know. But four of my five are fake Satans. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're not talking like there ain't no Frankenstein's or werewolves no, in no, here. No. We're talking like demons, baby. Yeah. Until such time, Joe Patrick, give these kids a new evil question of the week. It's not that evil. I mean, it's not so evil. Not this week's question was submitted by Brian Domingos via the THN forums. 80 plus years of comics have produced thousands of series that didn't live up to their potential. Which concept was produced, printed, and failed that you think needs a reboot and or a second take? Now, to me, I read this as not necessarily something that was executed poorly, but didn't get the traction right. that it needed. But, but I think again, it could be either. Maybe there is something that you thought had a great idea and was executed poorly. I, I would count yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. I think it could sure. be either way. Either or way. something that something that you just loved, but it was just too much of a cult hit and it got canned. It was too beautiful for this world. Too beautiful for this world. Uh, please keep your question of the week suggestions coming because we're apparently back on track with no end in sight. Cover to Cover is back every Saturday at 10.30 live on our Facebook page and it's the new home for our nerd news segment. So call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an MP3 of your answer to twoheadednerd at gmail.com and you could and will become internet famous like the aforementioned Brian Dodongos. It's true. Please try to keep your answers short and sweet, two minutes or less, and share the air with the rest of these clowns that call in every week. They got lots to say, damn it. If you're new to the show and you would rather carve a pentagram into your chest than listen to another minute, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is, you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com, but those Amazon S3 storage buckets, they ain't free. I'll tell you what, and they get paid for thanks to donors like Allison York, who is a real girl that listens to this show. She's not a girl, goddammit. She's a woman, okay? I shouldn't take that away from her. And she I listens mean, to, be to this fair, show. We don't know how old she is. That's true. She could be 10. <laughs> Although, I hope she's not if she's listening to the show. I hope she's an adult and she's able to make her own decisions. Look, and Hugo, say, Hugo Tverdick listens to it. say those guys his have dad's a degenerate. obvious issues that they, you know, express on the show, but they're probably perfectly nice guys in reality. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to the dude himself and a member of the MCU family, Jeff Bridges, who revealed that he was diagnosed with lymphoma this week. Not only did he say that his prognosis is good, but he used the attention that his announcement was getting to encourage people to get out and vote. The dude. Yeah. Word to you, buddy. Man, if he dies before the end of this year, I am fucking walking through the siege perilous and calling a do-over. Like, we're just, fuck this. Yeah. And, nope. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, we're doing it again. Because <laughs> like, this is bullshit. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just pull your ballot out of the mailbox and throw it into a creek. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. <laughs>